Are you a follower of Jesus? Now, it's pretty important for us to be able to give a clear, decisive answer to this question. And since this is a familiar question, there is a tendency to dismiss it without giving it any real thought. We don't dismiss it because we find it particularly uncomfortable or convicting. Instead, it's dismissed because it feels redundant and unnecessary. Sure, it's an important question to consider, but it's important for other people to consider it. I've got this all locked down, we think. So while we recognize the importance of the question, we are so sure of our answer that we don't bother to, take, to, to think through the question and how it would apply to our lives. So let me clarify what I'm asking. I'm not asking if your parents are Christians who raised you in church. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you give tithes and offerings. I'm not asking if you try to be a good person as you define good. Honestly, I'm not even asking if you've been to the altar and prayed a prayer. What I'm asking is, are you a follower of Jesus? Does your daily life, your actions, your reactions, your priorities and your attitudes reflect that you are following after Jesus? Now, before we can give a really a decisive answer to that question, we have to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to John chapter 12, verse 20 is where we're going to start. That's page 821 in your pew Bibles. And you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. March Madness, man. 66% off. This is not my technology day. John 12 and 20. It says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And when they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves after me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. The title of the message this morning is Following Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We praise you, God, for all that you've given us and all that you've done for us in our life. We come this morning and we recognize that you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be like Jesus Christ. So today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come, that he would open our hearts to receive your word. Speak to us in this time that we have. Let us have ears to hear and hearts that are receptive. Father, work in this time to challenge us, to convict us, to encourage us, to equip us. 
Help us, Father, to be surrendered to Jesus, to be willing to do your will, no matter what that might be today. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that he would give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that I could speak your word and your ways for your glory. Change us today, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus tells the disciples what is about to happen to him. He's very honest and blunt about what's coming. And then in verse 26, he tells them and us that if we want to to serve him, we have to follow him. And in my mind, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Right? He tells us that following him means it goes going where he goes. It means doing what he does, living as he lived and experiencing in a way what he experienced. In other words, it means following his example, just just doing what Jesus did. Very specifically in this passage, he's talking about what he's going to experience here. And in order for us to follow Jesus, to serve him and to follow him, we're going to have to to really be committed to him. Because the way we see here is not going to be easy. So what we've got to know is that following Jesus, it requires a wholehearted commitment to Jesus. Following Jesus requires a wholehearted commitment to Jesus. There is is no way, from what I can tell, to be a half-hearted follower of Jesus. There is no way to be a part-time follower of Jesus. Once someone answers Jesus' call to follow me, we have to be all in. And again, that's easy enough to say. But what does that look like? This passage shows us four characteristics of a follower who has a wholehearted commitment to Jesus. The first is that I am surrendered to Jesus. Jesus uses the phrase in verse 24 most assuredly to get attention. If you have a King James Bible, you're probably familiar with it, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. This was Jesus, his way of getting attention, saying, What I'm about to say is really important. And he talks about a a kernel of wheat and it having to, to die before it can bear much fruit. And he's using this as an illustration about what's about to happen to him. In the passages before this, Jesus has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as he came in, the people yelled, Hosanna! Blessed be the one that comes in the name of the Lord. But all of that is going to change in just a very short time. Those that cried Hosanna on what we would call Palm Sunday, on Good Friday, they're also crying out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Right? The the opinion of the people is about to change for Jesus. And in order for Him... To do what God wants him to do, he's going to have to suffer and he's going to have to die. He's going to have to surrender his life unto death according to the will of the Father. This is in verse 27 what he said, the reason that he came. Followers of Jesus are expected to surrender their lives and their wills to Jesus. Surrendering our lives to Jesus means that we live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord and we are the servants. Surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, it means that we are willing to do anything 
that He wants us to do. As we think about what does it mean, though, to live under the Lordship of Jesus, there is a lot that the Bible says, but there were two characteristics specifically that I thought of as I was studying this passage. First is, I must be willing to forsake everything for Jesus. If you were here last week, you remember that when Jesus called the disciples, He said, follow me. And they left their nets and they went after Him. If you studied the story of Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector receiving taxes and Jesus said, follow me. And He got up and He he walked away. He willingly forsook everything to follow Jesus. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, that was just for them. But look at what Jesus said. He said, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a challenging thought. Now, let me say what I I don't think this means. I don't necessarily think this means that today... You and I should go home and sell all that we have, give it to the poor, and move off to a foreign country. But here's what I think it means. If we felt that's what Jesus wanted us to do, that we would do it. But it means that we would be willing to do anything He wanted us to do. That, that there is nothing that we hold on to so tightly that if Jesus said, let it go, that we wouldn't let it go. I don't know what few what radio stations you may listen to, but I listen to K-Love. It's a Christian radio station. It's kind of a nationwide. And the morning show has Craig, Amy, and Kankelfritz. Kankelfritz, what a name. Anyway, the guy Craig, he has an easy job. I mean, I don't know how many hours a DJ works, but it can't be that many. And it can't be that hard to sit on there and crack jokes and, and play radio, play songs. But this week, he issued his resignation. He's going to resign at the end of this month or next month. And he's going... To be a missionary, a combination of like England and in the Middle East. He's forsaking an easy job to go do something that is far more difficult. What he is going to do is going to be hard. It is not going to be the cushy life of a DJ. Caleb's like a big radio station. He's met, you know, if you listen to Christian music, he's met Toby Mack and Casting Crowns. And he's been on stage and introduced them. He's not going to be that, that important, that famous anymore. From this point on, he's going to be a guy probably we'll never hear from again unless the people on K-Love mention him. He's forsaking everything to go and follow Jesus. What is there in our lives that we would not forsake? That if Jesus said, drop this and walk away, we wouldn't do it. And if there is something like that, rest assured, that is an idol. You and I, we should have such a, a high view of Jesus... That we could say as the Apostle Paul that I have lost all things, consider them but rubbish compared to the glories of knowing Jesus Christ. If I am going to be a follower of Jesus, with a wholehearted devotion to Jesus, that surrendered to Jesus, I must be willing to forsake anything that Jesus calls me to let go of and move on with. Secondly, I must strive to be more like Jesus than the world. God's desire for all of us as believers in Jesus that we would we would be like him. And now being like Jesus, it's not the natural inclination of our hearts. The world at large doesn't pull us to be like Jesus. It's not a the natural thing. And yet, despite the difficulty and despite the unnaturalness of it all, we are supposed to be like Jesus. 
Now, I wish we had a lot of time to look at Romans 12. But Paul says, I beseech you, therefore. The therefore is connecting back to what that he said. By the mercies of God. Now, if we were to look at Romans, we would find that the first 11 chapters deal with the great and awesome mercies of God. That though we had sinned and fallen short of God's glory, He had sent His only begotten Son, that we might have life and salvation through Him. Now, because of all that God has done for us, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, living sacrifice, very similar to what we've talked about with taking up your cross and following Him. But notice what he goes on to say. This is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we are not to be like the world around us. Our attitudes are to be different than unbelievers. Our values are to be different than unbelievers. Our priorities are to be different than unbelievers. Our reactions to stressors in life are to be different than unbelievers. We are to be like Jesus. And that's going to take surrender on our parts because being like Jesus isn't easy. I mean, think about what Jesus said. Like He said, turn the other cheek. How many of us, that's our natural response to being insulted? Just to say, Jesus loves you and so do I. That's no big deal. Not me. How about Jesus talking about, like, go the extra mile for those that that force us to do something? I mean, how many of us, I remember in the army, we we had a saying, and it was good enough for government work, right? Go police the area. Eh, you know, that's good enough for government work. Not, Not do all that you can, do the best you can, do the bare minimum. We are to be like Jesus in every area of our lives. And that means we're going to have to surrender at times our will. And that means at times we're going to have to surrender our desires. And we're going to have to surrender our, our, our need to get even, our need to, to respond. We're going to have to change our priorities and our values. Everything. But striving to be like Jesus is a part of what it means to be surrendered to Jesus. This is a part of what you and I, we are supposed to do. And, and it's so important. Look at what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now this saying is so important that it is included in every gospel account. In every gospel, the author includes Jesus saying that we have a choice in life. That we can choose to save our lives or we can choose to lose our lives. Now, he's not talking about saving our physical lives and losing our physical lives. He's talking about saving our physical lives and really losing our eternal lives. Look at what he says. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, as we try to... Be surrendered to Jesus, forsaking everything. There's going to be times where Jesus calls on us to forsake something. A friendship, a relationship, a habit, a hobby, an attitude, an action, a job. 
any number of things. And our desire is going to be to keep it. And that's something we can do. But when we keep it, our, when we keep our lives for this world, we are losing out eternally. There are going to be times when being like Jesus is going to require us to let go of certain values and attitudes and reactions. And we're going to want to hold on to it because I have a right to get even. I have a right to act this way. I have a right to do that. But by holding on to it in this life, we are losing out eternally. In the end, we have to choose. Will I save myself in this world and do all that I want to do? Will I live as I want to live, act as I want to act, value what I want to value, and then miss out eternally? Or am I going to surrender all of my life to Jesus so that I can win in the end? Now, you may be thinking, that sounds a little extreme. Surely, that's not what Jesus means. But look at what he says in another place. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Notice this next part. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Very clearly, the the contrast is being painted between choosing how we want to live and experiencing eternal life or living the way Jesus wants us to live and gaining eternal life. I mean, let's imagine, because we can keep all the things that we want. If we kept all the things that we wanted and we did all the things that we wanted to do, we acted in all the ways that we wanted to act and we never denied ourselves, we never took up our cross, we, we, never, we never just did anything we didn't want to do. We gained everything that this world offered. Every pleasure, every experience, every desire we gave into and we experienced it. What a waste that's going to be in eternity. There is nothing that this world offers that is comparable to our souls. And if we want to, to save our souls, we have to live a life surrendered to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And I think sometimes we don't understand the concept of Jesus is Lord. What we want is a Savior without the Lordship. We like being forgiven for our sins. If hell's real, we certainly do not want to go there. If heaven's real, we certainly do want to go there. So we like a Savior who will save us from judgment and take us to a place of glory. But this same Savior shouldn't make any demands on my life. He should, he should be there if I get in trouble to come and to, to pick me up and to pull me out. He should affirm me that I'm a good person. He, he should pat me on the back. And, he, and if I'm struggling, He should be there but never say this is right or this is wrong. He should never challenge me to do something I don't want to do. And while that sounds great... That is not Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible is Savior and Lord. He is not one or the other. He is both. And we cannot have a Savior without a Lord. There is no way to be saved without living a life surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a part of what it means to have a wholehearted devotion, wholehearted commitment to Jesus. Secondly, 
I will be fruitful through Jesus. So I am surrendered to Jesus, and then I'm fruitful through Jesus. Jesus said in verse 24, that I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He's referring to his death. His death, what he is about to suffer, is going to be bad. But there's a purpose and there is a reason for it. I like how Isaiah explains it. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sins, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul. He shall be satisfied. For by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. See, Jesus' death produced something in the world. It produced salvation. It made it possible for sins to be forgiven and people to be uh, taken away from the wrath of God. To live free of condemnation. To know God in this life. To experience eternity with Him. And, And since from His death and His resurrection, all of this has happened. From that time until this, and as long as the world goes on, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is going to continue to bear fruit in this world. Now, what this means for us is that if we want to be fruitful in our Christian lives, we have to be surrendered to Jesus. Right? Jesus surrendered the will of the Father and died. His death accomplished the will of God, and that produced fruit that has gone all throughout the world and will go throughout the world for all eternity. If I want to be a fruitful Christian, if I want my relationship with Jesus to produce things that matter, things that last things that bring God glory, that demonstrate I am His follower, I have to be surrendered to Him. And as I am surrendered to Him and I die to self, Jesus will work through me and He will accomplish things all throughout my life. Now, when we think about being fruitful, the Bible talks about all kinds of things, the fruit of the Spirit, good works, and all this other stuff. And it's easy for us to wonder, does Jesus really care? I mean... Do I have to be a fruitful Christian? As long as I'm basically a good person, and I believe, isn't that enough? And the answer is no, it's not. Let me show you this. This is an interesting story. This is after, on the day that Jesus has come into Jerusalem. It says, now when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Matthew's account says that immediately the fig tree withered. Now, this to me for years was a very confusing passage. I mean, Jesus went to a tree to get figs out of season. And when there were no figs, he was angry and he cursed it and it died. What's up with that? And then I heard a guy preach on this passage and it made a lot of sense and To understand the passage, we kind of have to to break it down into different parts. First, we have to consider the historical context. In the days that Jesus lived, let me ask you, who was he most hard on? Was Jesus hard on tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners? Or was Jesus hard on Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes? Well, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Now, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Would you consider their life to be wicked and immoral? No. No, they they lived good, moral lives. They 
they had an idea of what the law said, and they followed it to to the nth degree. They tithed down to the tiniest part of the plants they grew in their home gardens. As far as the world was was concerned, they they were what it was to be righteous. They were what it was to be religious. I mean, they... They, they did everything religiously that they were supposed to do. And yet, Jesus was still not pleased with them because their lives weren't producing the things that they were supposed to produce. Now, the fig trees, something I didn't know and wouldn't know, is that these kinds of fig trees, they produce the leaves after they produce the fruit. There are fig trees that are early fig trees. And they bloom and they blossom and they produce fruit earlier in the season. And the figs come first and then the leaves. And so anytime you saw one of these kind of fig trees and you saw leaves on it, you could reasonably assume that there would be figs on it. So now how does this all work together? Here's how it works together. Scribes and the Pharisees, they had all of the appearance of religion and righteousness. They had the leaves, if you will. But when you looked at them closely and you looked at their lives, there was no real fruit. The mercy and the justice and the goodness of God was not evident in their lives. Therefore, they were not accepted by Jesus. Jesus was not pleased with them. And for us, what we've got to understand is it is possible for us to go through the motions and have all of the leaves of religion, all of the appearances of it. We can come to church, we can give, we can listen to K-Love and wear our Christian ties and our Christian t-shirts and eat testaments and have God pods instead of iPods. We, We can do all of that stuff. But if in the end, all that is is an outward appearance without any inward fruit, it is not acceptable to Jesus. So let me ask you, in your life, I mean... There there are some leaves of religion. You're in church today. Probably you brought a Bible. Some are going to give. You've probably come to church before today. This isn't your first time. So there are leaves of religion in your life. But is is there fruit? Do you see things in your life that are only because of Jesus? Attitudes you have because of changes Jesus has made. Actions you take just because Jesus is Lord. Ways you react to stressors just because Jesus set an example. Should be. Should be in all of our lives. The leaves of religion, the appearance of righteousness, will never, ever be enough. We are meant to be fruitful for the glory of God. Our fruit, Jesus says in John 15, 8, is the greatest testimony that we are His disciples. Differences in our lives, because Jesus is Lord, they should be seen in all of us. If we surrender to Jesus, we are fruitful through Jesus. That is just the way that the world works. It's the way that the Christian life works. A wholehearted devotion to Jesus allows us to produce fruit for Jesus. Thirdly, first I'm surrendered to Jesus. Then I'll be fruitful through Jesus. And I'm willing to suffer for Jesus. Jesus 
knows that things are about to go bad for him. And I like what he says at the first of verse 26. He said, now, I'm sorry, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour, this purpose, I came to this hour. What shall I say? Save me? At this point, Jesus is like, it's about to get bad, but hey, I'm not going to ask for salvation. I'm not going to ask God to spare me from this. What's great is, later, in the accounts, he goes to a garden called Gethsemane and he prays. And what's his famous prayer at that point? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Right? He's, he's asking, let, it, let me not have to go through this if it's possible. Yet not my will... But thy will be done. Right? He, he surrenders again to the Father's will, knowing that the Father's will will produce suffering. And so he goes, and he's beaten, and he's mocked, and he's crucified, and he dies. He, he faces the cross for our salvation. And not only does Jesus face this, but as he goes to face the cross, he says things to his disciples like, in this world you will have tribulation. If they hated me, they will also hate you. Look at what he says here. Disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant, his master. They have called the master of the house Beelzebub. How much more will they call those of the household? You know, it's a common teaching in our day that the reason the world at large doesn't like the church is because we're not like Jesus. And they say, if we act like Jesus, the world will love us. Think about how the world loved Jesus. Jesus was as much like Jesus, I guess, as anybody could be. And the world loved him so much that they all rejected him. And they loved him so much that they turned him over to be beaten and spit upon and uh, mocked and abused and crucified and he died. That's how the world loved Jesus. So if we're like Jesus, is the world just going to be like, you guys are great? Not likely. If we're like Jesus, the world will treat us the way it treated Jesus. And the world just didn't treat Jesus all that wonderfully. So what does that mean for us? It means we have to be willing to endure it. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but culture has changed. And, and saying things like, certain things are sin. It's not popular anymore. And you can, you can be in trouble. Trouble. If you want to say that certain actions are wrong. You can lose friends. You can get in all kinds of trouble. And the longer the world goes, the less popular Christianity is going to be. The less easy it's going to be to stand and say, this is right, always. And this is wrong, always. That Jesus alone saves, that there is a heaven, there is a hell. And then the only way anyone keeps from going to hell and goes to heaven is through Jesus. These truths are not going to be more, not going to suddenly get more popular. They're going to get more and more unpopular. And the temptation that we will face is by compromising these truths in order to be accepted by the world. They will say, are you saying that if I don't believe Jesus is Lord and I don't, Believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell. We're going to be tempted to say, 
gosh, I don't want to make a statement like that. God will just do whatever he wants to do. Instead of saying, that is what the Bible says. And if we say that is what the Bible says, we're going to suffer for it. We may lose friendships. We may have other things that happen. But it's a certainty. Now, I don't think this means we go out and seek suffering. We don't try to make people dislike us. We don't go out and act like a jerk. And then when they say you're a jerk, say, whoop, they were mean to Jesus. I'm just like him now. Right? That's not what we do. But as a follower of Jesus, we cannot shirk back from the hard sayings. And we cannot shirk back from the hard things because people won't like it. Saying I am willing to suffer for Jesus means that I'm going to stand on what the Bible says and I'm going to stand on what Jesus says. And if you like it, that is wonderful. And if you hate me for it, that's okay too. I can't do anything about it. But I will not alter my beliefs and I will not alter what I believe Scripture says to be more popular with you. I'm going to stand where Jesus stands and I'm going to say what Jesus says. As the old saying goes, just let the chips fall where they may. Part of a wholehearted devotion to Jesus is that we know sometimes life is going to be hard in following Jesus. And we just go there anyway. We just do what he wants us to do and we say what he wants us to say regardless of whatever earthly consequences we may face. And then finally, I will be blessed by Jesus. Following Jesus is gloriously hard. And we have to understand the gloriously hard part. If all we focus on is the glory, we do a disservice to the hard. It's popular today to talk about all the, if you just believe and if you profess and you'll all of this but you know that's just not reality that stuff doesn't actually work outside of a popular saying and writing a book in reality life is hard at times following jesus is going to be hard that's the reality so we can't just focus on the glory and act like the hard's not there but at the same time if all we focus on is the hard it's so difficult to follow jesus the world just doesn't like me Whoa, it's me. It's so hard to live for Jesus. We neglect the glory. Listen, serving Jesus is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's the best thing ever. So we have to understand it is gloriously hard. In the last point, willing to suffer. <laughs> That's hard. All of the, In fact, all of the other stuff we've talked about, honestly, in my mind, is hard. It's hard being surrendered to Jesus. It is hard consistently putting His will above my will. Maybe it's easier for you. For me, it's hard. It is hard surrendering to Him and letting fruit flow through my life. It is hard to examine my life and say, do I do what I do because I'm a pastor? Or do I do what I do because of Jesus? Because you know, it's easy to make changes in our life that just happen, right? I mean... Probably, if you're in your 40s, you're different than you were when you were in your 20s. Are you different because of Jesus or are you different because you're older? 
I mean, I have a, a wife and three kids. In my 20s, I had me. There are changes that had to be made to have a successful marriage. To, to raise my kids without killing them in their sleep. I mean, there are things that I had to change about me that don't necessarily require Jesus to have been at work there. And it's easy to just look at the natural changes in my life and say, well, that's change. It's hard, though, to say, how am I different just because of Jesus? Listen, it's hard to be willing to suffer for Jesus. I want people to like me just as much as you do. I don't want to argue. I don't want to fuss. I don't want to make people feel bad. But if I'm going to follow Jesus, sometimes that's going to happen. But there's also glory. Jesus says there are blessings that come from serving him. Verse 26, he gives two. The first is that I will have fellowship with Jesus. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. I think there is a, a twofold fulfillment of this promise. First, there is there are experiences of his presence in our lives today. I mean, there, there are times where I have done things and, and I I knew Jesus was with me as surely as I know that you're with me. You know, you hate to say I felt his presence because that sounds kind of odd. But, man, I, I felt his presence. And it wasn't an ecstatic emotional experience. And it wasn't that I hot myself up and I wasn't too cold and I wasn't too hot and I wasn't stroking out. There was just something that I can't explain other than to say I knew Jesus was with me. And that's available for all. I mean, we can know He's with us. He's promised over and over again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we serve Jesus in this life, we will experience His presence in ways that can't be understood or can't be explained apart from following Jesus. It's not something that can be qualified or quantified. It's just, I know Jesus is with me. But there's also a promise of Jesus experiencing his presence in the future. I mean, look at John chapter 14 and verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now the disciples knew bad things were coming. They didn't know all that was, they just knew it was bad. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in me, just trust me. And look at what he says in verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, look at this. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am... There you may also, or that you may be also. Now notice how similar that is. Here he says, where I am, there you may be also. In John 12, he said, there my, where I am, there my servant will be also. See, if I follow Jesus in this life, I get to experience him now in some ways. 
But I think the ways we experience Him now are just a, a taste of what it's really going to be like then. Because at some point, Jesus is going to come back and get us and take us to be with Him. And then we'll get the fullness of the glory part of the following Jesus. You and I, we have fellowship with Jesus now. And the goodness of that fellowship with Jesus is just a taste of the greatness of the fellowship with Jesus in eternity. That is coming. And it's for those who follow Jesus. Only those who follow Jesus experience the presence of Jesus now and in the life to come. But then also, I will be rewarded for following Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, him, my father will honor now, I just want to take a minute and think about the bigness of that statement. God the Father will honor those who serve Jesus. I mean, that's huge, isn't it? I mean, I would think it is. And it's huge. It is a huge thing to think that God Almighty will one day in some way honor or reward me for following Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And and in the way, I mean, there's a lot, but this is my favorite. Well done. Good and faithful servant. See, when we wholeheartedly are committed to Jesus, we serve Him and we follow Him and we do what He wants us to do, then at one point our life will end and we will go to be with Him. And in that moment, we will hear God the Father Say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of your Lord. And how great will it be to hear God the Father call us a good and faithful servant. Him inviting us to enter into the the perpetual joy, the glory of the Lord. See, on that day we're going to know it was worth it. On that day, the hard will have been worth it. We're not going to stand in God's presence, seeing Jesus in all of His glory, and be like, my life was so hard, Lord. People didn't like me, and I had to give up things I wanted to do. It's not how it's going to be. We're going to see Him, and we're going to be like, "Woo!" We're going to be excited. How great that day will be when we see Him. Following Jesus, it is gloriously hard. We experience a part of the, the glory in this life, but we will receive the fullness of that glory in the life to come. All of these, being surrendered to Jesus, being fruitful through Jesus, suffering for, being willing to suffer for Jesus, and being Blessed by Jesus. All of this is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. All of this is a part of what happens when we are wholeheartedly committed to Jesus. So let me ask you today before we dismiss. I mean, can you can you honestly say that you are surrendered to Jesus? I mean, are the things you're holding so tightly that you would never even consider letting go of for Jesus? Do your attitudes and your actions and your values and your priorities, do they match up with Jesus or the world? 
Do you see things in your life that are different just because of Jesus? Do you, do you stand where Jesus stands no matter what your friends or your family says? Are you willing to just say, this is right. This is how I'm going to live and this is what it is regardless of anything else. I mean, do you know the goodness, the glory of serving Jesus in your life? In a lot of ways, I think we should experience all of these kind of all the time. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you. If there are things in your life you won't let go of. Because I, I can't, you know, there's no way I could like make you. There's no way I could even guess as to what they might be. But I would say every one of us needs to spend time this morning. If we say, I, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Spend the time that we're going to have in response saying, search me and try me, O God. See if there is anything in my life that is not pleasing to you. And if there is, lead me in the way of everlasting life. Show me how to put it out of my life. And let me take off and follow you with a wholehearted commitment. Let's stand.